You're listening to Southeastern University's Ohio Regional Campus Podcast. We pray these chapel sessions encourage and empower you, inspiring your imagination and sharpening your skills and values, both for current and future leaders for Christ. Thanks for listening. Wow, you've made it. Well, maybe you're almost made it, right? So how many of you have many more papers and quizzes and... We see those hands. Yep, you got a few more tests to write. Yeah, so praying for you. So I'm I'm warring with you. I'm grinding with you. I'm grading papers and tests and quizzes and things like that too. So uh, that's that's what we signed up for. That's what we prayed for. And so here we are. So um, yeah. Well, welcome to the last chapel of the of the school year here of the year. This year, not the school year. By the way, there's another semester. Um, but uh, you've reached the end. You've invested here. And so just vital part of our community. I want to say welcome to a few guests this morning. You guys are welcome here. And so um, it's December, which means things begin to get quieter. And uh, it's a sad, I'm going to have a tear because it's kind of my goodbye for a couple of weeks as you guys go off into uh, a well-needed, well-earned, well-deserved season of rest. And uh, you should do that. You should rest if you can, okay? So do it and enjoy uh, this season, okay? So just want to say that. And uh, I believe that, uh, you know, even as you're coming to the end, there's a new season God's birthing in you, um, just as we talk about birth in this season of the holidays. I believe that God is positioning this organization, SE Ohio, for a, a great new season. And in life and in organizational life, in personal life, there are often moments where you're going to come right up to the edge and you're going to have to make a key decision and it's going to impact how things go in the future. And usually those are options are not like a bad option and a good option. They're usually two good options or two tough options that you kind of got to collide with and decide as a, a surgeon, you've got to make some incisions in your life and take and cut out some good stuff and put some new good stuff in in its place. And so I think we're going to, as an organization, walk right up to that edge and have to make some big decisions. There are some big, big things in store for SEU Ohio. And uh, it's exciting. And you are a part of that. And you aren't just a part of that. You are the part of that. That is the story. You're not just a part of the story. You are the story as, uh, as people get excited about what that means, uh, both for Ohio and for the Midwest region. So as we have students applying from Ohio, <laughs> Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Indiana, you name it, um, it's just it's cool to see what God is doing. And so there's, there's a whole lot more to come, right? And so um, with that, you know, we're praying about things like getting grants and um, getting more space, hallelujah, right? So things like that that are impacting and so... Um, we just were excited about the journey that we're on. I want you to know that. So I want to take you to a passage of scripture this morning. It is the Christmas season a little bit. And uh, just as I prayed about uh, this message and reminded myself uh, that I was, in fact, speaking uh, tomorrow amongst everything else, uh, I wanted to just talk. So I want to get the mic this morning because that's how we roll here. Let's see if I can't do that and transition. Awesome. So wait for me to save my voice and for you all to hear me a little bit better. All right, so um, if there's anything that we do well in the holiday season or the Advent season, the Christmas season, it's singing, right? We, we sing a lot, there's carols, there's hymns, and 
I think music is a great way to express this season. How many of you are familiar with Advent? You've heard that word before, okay. So Advent's not a word in the Bible. Um, it's actually from a Latin word, but it's related to a, a Greek word called the parousia, which just means the coming or the anticipation of, of Jesus, the anticipation of him coming as child, the anticipation of him coming in our hearts, and then the anticipation of him coming at the end of time. It's this word for anticipation. That's Advent. And music's a great way to express that. Words, I think, become more difficult as the Christmas season draws near. Words describing Jesus' birth, the inbreaking of God's kingdom, the flickering light that shines forever in the darkness. But I don't think words really capture the story fully. There's a whole lot more, and we, we can really sort of get at that through hymns, through carols, through songs or poetry and giving voice to the God who is coming. And I think hymns often tell the story best. And in Advent, in this season, we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, come thou long expected Jesus, lift up your head, O you mighty gates. And then as it gets really close, we sing songs about Christ being born when singing with angels and joy to the world. There's some fabulous lines in there, glorious hymns, some mournful, some joyful in telling the story of God coming to us in Jesus. And yet at the same time, when everything is sort of merry, cheery, and bright, there's a season of grinding, right? So I don't know if you've ever felt that during the holiday season. I often feel like there's like two things going on at the same time. There's the, the veneer of happy, and then underneath that can be a little layer of um, maybe some sadness, some darkness, because maybe someone you lost is no longer with us in this season. Um, someone uh, that you knew maybe passed away. Maybe it was a grandmother or maybe a, a father figure, a mother figure. Maybe it was someone that you were really close to. And when Christmas draws near, there's sort of this longing that's underneath all of the, the glitz and the glamour of the holiday season. And even if that's not uh, your plot, Maybe it's personal loss. Maybe it's the state of the world that uh, is causing even the most joyful among us to sort of feel a little bit of that pause, the poverty and crime that dig deeper into the cities of Ohio, people who are addicted to a substance. Parents who long to give their children nothing more than a little holiday spirit and lack the means to do so. And still, those songs, they stick in us, and they stick in with us and prepare a heart and prepare a place in the darkness well, a thousand years ago, a little peasant girl marched up to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and Mary and Elizabeth are both pregnant in this moment. Elizabeth is old. She's been barren her whole life, and now God has done something impossible in her. Her child, John the Baptist, is leaping in her womb as, as Mary draws near, and before, Mar before Elizabeth stands Mary, right, she's a teenager, She's unmarried, and she's pregnant. With hopes and dreams as big as any of our own, hers is a difficult life, and now that difficult life has actually been completely turned upside down. And questions linger in her mind. Will Joseph still love her? Will her family still love her? How will she support her child? Where will they live? These are the hopes and fears of all the years encapsulated in Mary's life and as any mother amplified by Mary's station in life. And in the face 
of these questions, as she looks at those questions and they bear down upon her, Mary begins to open up her mouth in front of Elizabeth. And she begins to sing, and from deep within inside of her, in some place, bubbles up a song. And as Mary opens her mouth, she begins to sing it, and she's overcome with joy in fear and anticipation of what God is going to do. It's Mary's song. It's the Magnificat. It's the first hymn of praise, the first Christmas carol in human history. And so as Mary stands on that doorstep with her cousin Elizabeth, facing those uncertainties in life, she begins to sing a song of good news of what God has done in the world and what God is going to do in the world through her. And as her song echoes across that barren countryside, there's, I think, uh, an anticipation of what God is going to do for people like her, the poor, the powerless, the brokenhearted, those facing uncertainty and a lack of hope. And see, in Mary, God has chosen the lowly things of the world to make himself known. If you go with me to Luke chapter 1 this morning, Luke chapter 1, verses 45 through 50, here's what it says. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble state as a servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed For the mighty one has done great things in me, his holy name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's a pretty radical prayer, actually. It's a pretty avant-garde prayer. So Mary's Magnificat, or her song there in Luke, tells us that Christmas isn't really about getting what we want, but about God getting what he wants and about God giving what he wants. The birth of her son Jesus is about lifting up the lowly, filling up the hungry, actually sending the rich away. It says it right there in the text. And as Mary sings, as it's if the child in her womb, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a whole other uh, message right there, uh, is singing through Mary's voice. Jesus, and that song that she's singing, bursts forth in his life. And really, it will be a song that will echo into his life and throughout his entire ministry. Because that's exactly what he does. It's an anthem of faith to magnify the Lord, to rejoice in God the Savior, to show mercy, to bring down the powerful, to lift up the lily, to fill the hungry with good things. And perhaps that's what we should pray for ourselves and our soul this Christmas season. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Beth and I uh, were living in Los Angeles, so we lived in a a nicer part of Pasadena, which is where the Rose Bowl is played. And actually, shout out to my wife. My wife actually got me into the press box at the Rose Bowl. That's a whole other message. But we lived in a really nice area of Pasadena. And uh, one night while I was driving to my assignment, I was a teaching pastor at a church in Alhambra, California, which is where all the really great cars are, by the way. I was driving through an area that I not normally would go, and it was the area called Torrance, okay? Torrance is poor, Torrance is rough, 
Torrance is LA's version of Nazareth. And as I was driving through there and looking around, I suddenly noticed this ruckus on the streets. And uh, you know, you have your windows down in LA during Christmas because it's you know a balmy, a chilly 65 degrees outside. And uh, there was this great party because you don't have to shovel smog. It's not snow, but it's I think better than snow. Um, it's my opinion. But uh, and so there's this great party because you see. Immaculate Conception Church was having a party. Immaculate Conception Catholic Church was having a feast of Our Lady Guadalupe because in 1531, Mary allegedly appeared to a poor farmer um, in uh, north of Mexico City, and his name was Juan Diego. And Juan Diego brought the good news of the gospel uh, of God's mercy and peace to the countryside there. And that Christian faith blended with uh, cultural forms and, of course, spread across Mexico and into Central America and in today, many uh, Latino and Latina Christians in America now point to Mary as the one who brought the story of God's news to them. We Protestants, we gather on a morning like this and maybe you grew up in a Baptist home or maybe you grew up in a Methodist home or Lutheran home or maybe, like me, you were Pentecostal all your life and uh, if there's anything we know about Mary or suspect about Mary, it's that deep down we think she's really Catholic, right? <laughs> and yet, this morning, Mary's singing to us through the pages of Scripture. Mary's the one who's come to announce to us the good news of God in this place. In this place, we, we think of as a sanctuary here at SEU. And that night in L.A., many immigrants were gathering, and they were singing songs, many of them really poor, many of them uh, very tight financially, and they sang in the streets about Jesus Christ coming. And sort of cast against, you know, uh, the, the smog of L.A., which is kind of like a fog, but it kills you. Um, and, and, you know, these palm trees wrapped with Christmas lights, and this old Spanish church, to me, was one of the most beautiful pictures of Christmas I had ever seen. Because I think it encapsulates for us the real narrative of the gospel and Mary's song. It raises some interesting dynamics for us, though, doesn't it? I'm not going to get into all of it today, but it raises dynamics of the foreigner, or the traveler, of the seeker. There's this major theme in the Old Testament about uh, God telling the nation of Israel, do this, do that, because you were a foreigner once in the land of Egypt. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. So if you look at a couple texts this morning, text uh, Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22, here's what it says. Awesome, thanks so much. Don't deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. There it is. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there, and that is why I commanded you to do this. So he's commanding them. Verse 19, when you're harvesting your field or, or overlook a sheep, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner and the fatherless and the widows, that the Lord your God may bless you do all the works of your hands. When you beat olives from the trees, don't go over the branches a second time. I'm having technical difficulties over here with my paper. It wants to curl up like parchment. Uh, don't go over the branches a second time or leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. There's a whole bunch of texts here 
that we're not going to spend a ton of time on, but I just want to sort of prove to you this theme. Verse uh, Exodus 22:20 20 says, You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for remember you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the soul of a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. That's Exodus 23.9. Leviticus 19.34 says, The stranger who resides with you shall be one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 10.19. You too must befriend the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then finally, you shall not hate an Egyptian, for you are strangers in his land. So there's this, this huge theme there. I'm not going to give you all of what I think about all those texts this morning. What I am going to do is point you to the scriptures and let you do what we talked about before, which is wrestle with the interpretation. Okay? I have a brother. Uh, his name is Ryan. And uh, when Ryan was about six years old, uh, we were eating dinner as a family at our family table um, in Indiana and uh, my father pastored in that town. My brother spilled his milk during dinner. We were having spaghetti. I don't know why I remember that. Uh, And so he spilled his milk. And my brother earlier that day had watched his friend Freddie spill his milk at school earlier that day. And Freddie said a word that sounded like just the right word to say when you spill your milk. And so he said that word right there in front of my father and my mother. And silence fell across the place. And my dad looked at my brother and he said, Ryan, what did you just say? And he said, well, I just said a word that Freddie used at at school earlier today. And my dad said, well, Freddie can do what he wants. But in this house, we do not use that word. And then my mom piped in and sort of tag team was like, high five parents, here, here we go. And my mom was like, yeah, that's, that's right. And you're done with your dinner, young man. You can put your plate in the sink and go up, upstairs to your room. And if I have to be honest, and if he's watching today, you know it. Um, I was pretty excited because I was like, finally, he's been breaking the law a lot, a long time. He's finally getting his just due. And... Uh, They sent him upstairs to his room, right? And uh, they were the authority figures in that house. They were. And and, uh, he had broken the law. He had violated the law in that house. So we're eating some more, and uh, slowly but surely, about probably 15 minutes later, from upstairs we hear, help. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm hungry. (laughs) Help. And this went on for a little while, right? And then, you see, my parents, they heard his cry, but they didn't have to heed his cry, right? Then in one sense, they heard his cry, and God was saying to the nation of Israel, I've heard your cry. The cry has reached me, God tells Moses before, of of the children of Israel, right? And my parents are hearing my brother's cry, they didn't have to eat it, though, but they did. And uh, they marched themselves upstairs and sort of, you know, victoriously this image, right? So I'm watching what's going to happen because I'm like, what's going to happen, right? <laughs> and uh, so he opens the door to his room and uh, kind of comes out and, you know, kind of ha- hangs onto my parents' legs and hugs my parents and says, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. 
and my parents say, you promise that you'll never say that word? And I'm not sure if he's kept that promise, but, but he tried to, right? In one sense, they didn't have to heed his cry, but they did. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says, you were strangers to me, right? Says it to us. You were strangers to me in the land of Egypt. You were an alien. You were an orphan. You were, and I heard your cry. And where will you stand on the day of judgment if my having heard your cry and you hear the cries of other people and you do not hear their cry? You do not heed their cry. Deuteronomy 24 says, Always remember that you were once a slave in Egypt, and therefore I enjoin you, I exhort you to follow this command. So it's under this construct that Jesus is born, right, in Bethlehem. And this generous, robust theology of Jewish law, of loving the stranger. And, and then there's this repeat pattern where Jesus has a movement of people that begin to follow him after his death. I call them the Jesus people, right, the Jesus Jewish people. You have the Sadducees, the Pharisees, you've got the Zealots, You've also got the Jesus people. And they go through this exclusion, this casting out uh, of their neighbors in their history. And then about 300 years pass. And after a battle called the Battle of the Nobian Bridge, where two Roman emperors war, the Emperor um, Constantine and Maximinus fight, and ultimately Constantine wins the Battle of the Nobian Bridge. And an important church historian, just historian in general, Eusebius, notes that this is a moment where we believe that Constantine, the emperor of Rome, gets saved, we think. Something happens because, listen to this, in, thir- excuse me, in 313, Constantine abolished and forbids the use of crucifixion as a method of capital punishment as he was nearing death and baptized. There is something significant and profound about the very government that was complicit and involved in the death of God and persecuting his followers that the law of of crucifixion was now changed. So get this picture, right? You have Christians in this moment in human history that are holding positions of great influence across the Roman Empire. The empire had grown rich with gold, and the church leaders were were rich with wealth. And they began to change the instrument of death, wooden crosses, into golden crosses. These were, in, in fact, some of the very same church leaders that had readily identified with Christ's statement, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. And because they, in fact, had suffered loss of limb, Loss of status, loss of life. Think about it. An entire generation of Christians, when you listen to the stories of the Christians being persecuted, one of the roughest periods is under the emperor Diocletian. These are some of the same Christians who still have the scars of persecution on them that now are taking up positions of wealth and power. They changed the law through grace throughout that entire empire. And yet, ironically, they began to forget. They remembered the words, but where to appropriate 
them when it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to persecution. So now they carried and wore golden crosses as symbols of wealth and power to places of status rather than carry wooden crosses of self-sacrifice to places of surrender. You're going to go on from here, whether you're graduating soon or you've got many years ahead of you. At some point, you're going to graduate and go on from here, and I want you to not forget humble beginnings. I want you to remember these moments when you're grinding it out, when you're, when you're just grinding, you're like, I'm not even sure if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it financially. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it intellectually or academically. Don't forget these moments because it's easy to do. It's easy to do. And there are easier ways to do things, but they ultimately won't get you where you need to go or create in you the kind of person that you need to become. <coughs> so we cannot forget the sacrifice of the holiday of Christmas. Jesus condescends, right? He comes down from heaven and he becomes a man, fully God and fully man. And not for a moment, not for the Christmas season, but for all time, permanently. It would be as though as if one of us decided, if you decided, I'm going to save the ants because the ants need to be saved. They need salvation. And you're not going to just, you know, do the Ant-Man thing and become small for a moment or for a season, but permanently throughout all time, you're going to be fully ant and fully human. That is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Not for a moment, but permanently. Speaks of his ultimate humility and ultimate grace and that is the gospel and that is grace the unmerited favor of God on our lives we say that God is gracious to us that he's merciful that he's withholding the justice that we so deserve someone said it this way your worst days are never so bad that they are beyond the reaches of God's grace and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the reaches and the need of God's grace God's grace denies judgment, yet offers it for the repentant. And so there's much to rejoice about. There's much to sing about the poor, the outcast, being brought into the kingdom of God. Well, as we get ready to close today, if I could have um, someone come and just play behind me. Jesus is hanging between two criminals. Thank you so much. On the cross, and he's bearing your sins and mine. And one of the criminals that day realizes that he screwed up. That all the choices that he's made in life have led up to this moment. And there's really no time for him to sort of get his life right. He can't clean up his act. He can't fly straight. He can't join a church. He can't really offer anything to God. But for a fleeting moment, this criminal thinks to himself, he has this crazy thought. What if the love of God is so high, so deep, so wide, so extravagant that he could take even a, a flunk, even a fool, even a screw up like me? And so he turns to Jesus and he says to Jesus, you know, would it, would it be possible, Jesus, that you would like just remember me? And Jesus, really when he doesn't need to, right, he's, he, his mission is actually accomplished at this moment. 
All he has to do is just hit play and let the tape roll. But instead, at the moment of human history, when all our futures are changed, God decides he's going to take the opportunity for an individual's life to be changed. And I see in that moment in the gospel of the care that God has for each person. And Jesus turns to the man and he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Can I paraphrase what Jesus is saying in that moment? Jesus is saying, in spite of all that you've done, in spite of what you've, you know, accomplished in this life, you still matter to me. You always have. You mattered to me the day you pulled off your first heist. You mattered to me when you got arrested, when you got locked up. You have never stopped mattering to me. That's grace. And on the basis of your humility and faith, I can say welcome home, right? Friends, that's the picture of Jesus Christ's grace really throughout the ages and all time. That's just the beginning of God's grace. Would you pray with me today? blows my mind because it teaches me that everyone matters to God because they do. So as we close out this semester, I want you to always be thinking about how your education, about how your skills can impact other people. Because it's the great conversation as much as it is the great commission. It's the great development as much as it is the great commission to take products, to take words, and to point people to Jesus. I want to close with these words out of Proverbs. Do not be impressed by your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord. I believe wisdom and education should not be mutually exclusive. But if there is no fear of the Lord, healing and strength do not follow in that verse. And then Proverbs 3.27 says this. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. The end of Mary's song is this. God, you remembered to be merciful to our ancestor Abraham, and you are merciful to our descendants. SCU Ohio, as we close this semester, may you live out that echo in your life. And may as your voice become an original voice, that that echo speeds up, and that the ripples of that echo hit more people, not as calcifony, but as a harmony of what God is singing throughout all seasons. Each of us is an innkeeper who decides today if there's room for Jesus. God, we thank you today as we close this semester. I thank you for an incredible season of growth. I thank you for individual growth, not just corporate growth, that you care about each person, their story, they're anticipating a career, they're anticipating a vocation. And I pray that the, the song of Mary would echo into our hearts this season, we pray in Jesus' name.